Amen. Amen. Wasn't that worship awesome? Wasn't that so cool to have the Lord be honored the way that he was? And uh, listen, if you're new here, my name is Will Franco. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, we are so glad that you are checking us out here this morning. I want you to know that we started Try the Village for people just like you, for people who are searching and investigating and figuring out if this whole God thing is for them. One of the things that we say here at our church all the time is that we are not done. And what we mean by that is we believe that our best days are ahead of us. And we genuinely believe that God is not done working in us or through us. And so if you're sitting here and this is your first time here, we want you to know that we want you, we are inviting you to come along with us in this journey that we are taking as a family. The other thing we like to say here at our church all the time to new people is we tell them, hey, listen, if you're new here, we need you to know that you are welcome, that you are wanted, and that you are needed. See, a lot of churches will tell you that you're welcomed, and they kind of just leave it there. But we here, we're a big, dysfunctional family. And what we need you to know is that we love you, and we're so grateful that you're here. So not only are you welcomed, but you are welcomed, you are wanted, and you are needed. Now, if you're new here for the first time, you have come on a perfect Sunday because this morning we are starting a brand new series that's entitled Explore God. And the reason why it's entitled Explore God is because essentially we're going to do what the name implies. For the next seven weeks, what we're going to do is we are going to explore the person and nature of God. And the way we're going to do it is every week we're going to ask and answer another question that relates to the person and nature of God. And so this week, we're going to start the series by asking and answering the question, does life have a purpose? Next week, make sure you come back because we're going to be discussing, is there a God? Then in week three, we're going to be asking the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? And week four, the question is, is Christianity too narrow? Then the next question is, verse, in, in week five is, is Jesus really God? Week six, week six is, is the Bible reliable? And then week seven, can I know God personally? And so the goal with this series is every week to, to ask and answer these questions that so many people have and yet so little churches answer, right? So many people have these questions, but many times churches are scared to address these questions and they say, hey, just shut up and believe it, right? Don't ask any questions. Just shut up and believe it. And what we want you to know is that that's not the kind of church we have. We want you to know that if you have those questions, we are here to answer them to the best of our ability in light of, in light of Scripture. And so this morning, the question that we're going to start with is the first question, which is, does life have a purpose? Now, in order to answer this question, I want to begin with a story. And the reason why I want to share this story with you is because I believe that this story captures, it, it summarizes my own journey with this question. See, this first question, more than any of the other questions, is a question that I wrestled with a lot in my own journey uh, with God and in my own journey with meaning and purpose. Now, I don't know if you know this, but many of you, many do, many do, many don't, but I actually grew up in this area. So I was born in, the, in Chicago, and then around third grade, we moved out to Bartlett. So I went to Centennial Elementary School, then I went to Eastview Middle School, and I went to Bartlett High School, B-Town what, okay? <laughs> Hashtag go Hawks, all right? And so I went to Bartlett High School. Now, the thing about me is you think because I'm a pastor, I've been doing this thing since I was younger. Like, oh, this guy always knew he was going to be a pastor. But the reality is that I actually didn't even know anything about God growing up. I didn't, church wasn't really a part of my upbringing especially when we lived in the suburbs. When we lived in the suburbs, from the moment we moved to Bartlett in third grade, church wasn't really on our, on our radar. And so when I got to high school, um, I was definitely a worshiper, but I just wasn't a worshiper of God, right? 
Actually, the gods that I worshipped, and by gods I mean lowercase g, the gods that I worshipped were women and popularity. So the opposite sex and my friends were the people who I was constantly trying to impress and get approval from, right? Those were the gods that I worshipped. And I remember one day, I think it was either my sophomore year or my junior year, uh, I was sitting in a class. I think it was my, an English class because only English, an English class would bring up this type of question. And we were looking at this piece of literature, and our teacher asked this question. The question was this, and she wanted us to respond by raising our hands. She said, does your life have a meaning or a purpose? Right? And then no one responded, and so she followed up with, is there anything that you are willing to die for? Right? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. My first response to the question was to look around the room and judge everyone else. Right? Like, man, of course these people don't have an answer. Right? Classic high schoolers. No answer to a question like this. Right? So for the first 3.5 seconds, I was judging the people in the room. But then after a few seconds, I started to, to reflect and look inward, and then I realized that I wasn't raising my hand either. And for all the judging that I was doing, I actually didn't have an answer to the question either. I really didn't have a meaning or a purpose to my life. I mean, I remember that question just really bothering me. For like several weeks after that, that question kept coming up again and again and again. What is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my life? Why have I been put here on earth. Now, before that, what I probably would have said is I would have said, well, my purpose is to get a degree. And then once I get a degree, I'll have a job. And then once I get a job, I'll get money. And then once I have money, I can buy stuff. And then once I retire, I can, I can live in a, in, a, in a nice house. And then you could keep asking what else. And then eventually I would just say, and then I die. There was, there was no purpose. There was no rhyme or reason for my life. And I remember that question just really, really bothering me. And every time I would try to like avoid it or deflect it, it would eventually pop up again in, in the most inopportune moments. Does your life have a purpose? Does your life have a meaning? That's the question that came up again and again and again and again. Now, here's the thing. If, if we're being honest here this morning, can, can we be honest here this morning? Is that okay? Yeah. All right. If, if we're being honest here this morning... I know that I am not the only person in this room that has wrestled with this question. I know that I am not the only person in this room that has asked this question before. The reality is that every single person in here, to one degree or another, has asked and has, has wrestled with this question to some degree. Now, here's the thing about this question. It, it always comes up, like I said earlier, in the most inopportune times. So, so sometimes, at least in my life, again, I'm not trying to impose my story onto you, but let me tell you how it's been for me. There are, there are certain moments where this question uh, rears its ugly head, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the moments, one of the seasons in my life where this question would come up would be in moments of silence. So, so if I was driving somewhere with the radio off or if I was laying in, in bed at night looking up at the ceiling and I couldn't sleep, this question would always creep into the forefront of my mind. Will, does your life have a purpose. What is the meaning of your life? So sometimes we, we, we deal with this question, and this question uh, arises in moments of silence. For, other of us, for others of us, this question comes up in moments of sadness, of sadness. So, so you lose a loved one, or you, you lose a job, or you, you have these expectations for something, and your hopes are dashed. 
Sometimes in those valleys, what happens is this question comes up and you ask yourself, man, if, if, if these things that I love can just be so easily taken away from me, then what's the point of it all? Like, like what's the purpose of, 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 of me being here? Sometimes it's in moment of, moments of sadness. And you know, another season, another time or, or season where this question comes up is in moments of success. Okay? And here's what I mean by this. Every single one of us here is different. And, and as a result, every single one of us has different things in our mind that we think once we attain those things, once we arrive in those places, we will have been successful. We will have made it. What's interesting, at least in my life, I can't speak for you, but what's interesting in my life is that every time I have arrived at a moment of success, every time I have arrived at the thing that I thought I most wanted, I end up getting there and I'm left empty and discontent and asking the question, is, there, is this really all there is? See, so some of you are like, oh, what I really want is an education. And once I get my education, everything's going to be better. Some of you are like, what I really need is a career. And once I get a career, everything's going to be better. Oh, well, what I really want is a marriage. And once I get married, everything's going to be fixed. <laughs> Those are all the parents in the room. <laughs> and all the people who've actually been there. People who've actually been married. Right? And he, what happens is you get to those moments, and those moments always let you down. They are never what you thought they were going to be. And even though you were convinced it was going to fix it, nothing is fixed. I had a professor when I was in college, and, and he was one of the, at the time, now there's more, but at the time, I think he was the only African-American uh, professor at Moody Bible Institute. And so he was someone who I really connected to, and he became one of my mentors. And I remember him telling me the, the day he got his doctorate, he said that being an African-American in evangelical circles was very hard because it's a very academic world, the world that he was in, and he knew that he was never going to be taken seriously unless he had a doctorate. And he said he studied and he prayed and he gave everything he had to get that doctorate. And he said that he would just, he would get, he would get so enamored with, with the idea that one day he was going to have a doctor before his name. And he said that he was just so excited because he knew that everything was just going to be different the day he got that diploma. And he's like, Will, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. He's like, I remember that because of the way the graduation set up, I had to go ahead of my family. So he's like, I'm at this graduation ceremony. My family goes to, ce to celebrate me. He's like, on the way back, my, my, my wife and my kids are in the other car, and I'm driving back by myself. And he's like, as I'm driving back, I look over at the passenger seat, and there's my diploma. Dr. Winfred Neely. And he said, I've never felt emptier. He's like, nothing was different. I was just as empty and just as discontent as I was the day before. Sometimes this question doesn't come up in your valleys. Sometimes it comes up at the mountaintop. So, you know, sometimes one of the worst things that can happen to you is you getting what you've always wanted. Because then you get it and you realize that you're still just as empty and you're still just as purposeless as you were before. Okay? And so, 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 so follow with me here. So, so, so the, this question, it's this very, very, you know, this very pesky question. It shows up at the most inopportune moments. It shows up in moments of silence, in moments of suffering, and in moments of success, right? And so when this question comes up, there's essentially three ways we can respond to this question, right? So, so as I present this question to you this morning, there are three ways you can respond to it. And I can tell you from personal experience that I have responded to it in all three ways. 
Okay? The first thing you can do in response to the question, does life have a purpose, is you can deflect. Okay? Now, here's what I mean by deflect. What some of us do when this question creeps up, regardless of what season it's in, when, what some of us do is we deflect. And so what I mean is we start to distract ourselves. And so we're like, ah, I don't really know the answer to this question. I don't really want to deal with this question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to deflect. I'm going to distract myself with, with, with money or with music or with porn or with gambling or with uh, video games or, or with whatever. I'm going to distract myself with something else because I don't want to deal with this question. And, and, and here's what happens when you deflect. Uh, one commentator put it this way. He said that on the surface, listen to this. He says, on the surface, a shopaholic an alcoholic and a workaholic look very different, right? On the surface, they look very different. A shopaholic, an alcoholic, and a workaholic look very different on the surface. But what he argues is that at the root level, they are all running away from the same question. Does life have a purpose? I don't really want to deal with it, so I'm going to deflect. I'm going to distract, and I'm going to give myself over to drugs or to alcohol or to shopping or to, to, to whatever it is. I'm going to give myself over to something, my job, my work, my career, because I don't want to deal with the question. So, so the first response you can have this morning, and some of you have had it already or already doing it as I'm, as I'm speaking, is you can deflect and try to distract yourself until the question goes away. But the second thing you can do, the second response you can have to this question, and I did this many times in my own walk, is you can devalue the question. Here's what I mean by devaluing the question. Whenever that question pops up, after you try to distract yourself, after you try to deflect and that doesn't work, the next thing that you do for self-preservation purposes is you start to devalue the question. You look at the question and you're like, man, who cares about purpose? Purpose doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I know the meaning of life. I'm going to just do me and do what I enjoy. That's what a lot of us do. When deflecting doesn't work, we devalue the question. And like I said, I did this a lot in my own journey. There was times where I just couldn't get rid of the question. The, the pesky question wouldn't go away, so I would just deal with it by devaluing it and acting like it didn't matter, even though deep down I knew that it did matter. And you know the mistake that I made during that time? I confused productivity with purpose. You know, I, I think... I was preaching there for a second, so I'm going to go ahead and repeat that. I'm going to rewind it. Okay, let's go rewind that. And I'm going to go ahead and say that again. One of the problems when you don't want to deal with this question is you devalue it. And when you devalue what you're doing is you're confusing productivity with purpose. You can be productive and have no purpose whatsoever. You can be doing something and actually be doing nothing. And a lot of us confuse busyness with purpose. I heard someone put it this way. He said, the word busy is an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. That's what busy is. Busy is being under Satan's yoke. Jesus says that I came to give you a yoke, right? That, that my, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. So being busy is just being under Satan's yoke. And one of the things you can do is you can assume that you, are, you have purpose because you're productive. But productivity and purpose are not the same thing. So the first thing you can do is deflect. The, the second thing you can do is devalue. But the third thing you can do, and this is what I hope you do this morning, if, if this is the first time you've, you've never done this, I, I pray that this morning the third thing you would do is you would decide. That you would decide that this morning would be the morning that you finally make a decision about this question. 
At the end of this message, I'm going to offer you an invitation. I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a decision, to to decide once and for all what the purpose of life is. Okay? Now, here's the good news. And I'm not to give you a lot of bad news, but here's the, the good news. Okay? The good news is that we are not the first humans on the planet to ask this question. See, one of the things that we assume because we are modern people, and we are Westerners, and Westerners, are we, 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 we think clearly like no one else has ever before. One of the, the, the assumptions we can make is that we are the first people to ask the question, what is the purpose of my life? But the reality is we are not the first people to deal with and wrestle with this question. And actually, literally over 3,000 years ago, there was a man who decided that he was going to give his life over to trying to answer this question. Does life have a purpose? And his name was King Solomon. King Solomon, for those of you who don't know, was the son of King David, who was the most well-known king in in the history of of Israel. And King Solomon is born in the palace in wealth and in all his education. And when he finally takes over the kingdom, God says to him, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon says, I want you to give me wisdom like no one's ever had before. And God gives him wisdom, but God also gives him power and riches and armies and, and buildings and properties and everything that he didn't ask for. He gives it to him in addition to the wisdom. And so what Solomon does, he takes this wisdom, he takes these resources. Okay, this is a guy, listen, I don't care how rich you are, this dude's richer than you. I don't care how smart you think you are, this dude was smarter than you. I don't care how influential you think you are, this dude was more influential than you. Okay? In every category you think you are amazing, he was 10 times that. And what he does with his life is he decides to answer the question, does life have a purpose? And essentially what he does is he uses his life as like a laboratory, and he he goes on this, this, this lifelong experiment to see, does life have a purpose under the sun? And as he goes through his journey, Solomon takes detailed notes of all the things that he discovers. And by God's grace, those notes, those journal entries were preserved for us, and they are today known as the book of Ecclesiastes. And so this morning, that's the passage that we're going to be in. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. So if you open the Bible to the middle, uh, you'll, you'll see Psalms and Proverbs and a bunch of other stuff. This is after the book, Ecclesiastes is after the book of Proverbs and before the book of Song of Songs. And so I, we're going to be in the first chapter, uh, the first page, if you will, of Ecclesiastes, okay? I'm going to start reading in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in that white rack back there. You could take one with you, take it home. Um, also, if you don't have a Bible if, or you don't really feel like going over there, uh, the passage is going to be here on the screen behind me. Now, I know you guys love this Bible. Look at this cool Bible that I'm preaching with today. Um, the reason why I'm preaching with this Bible is because my daughter, Leah, asked me. She's like, hey, Dad, can you preach with my Bible? Um, I had a funeral that I had to do on Thursday. She's like, hey, can you use my Bible for the funeral? I'm like, ah, I don't know if this is the best place to bring a Bible like that, but I promise I'll bring it for Sunday. So that's why I'm preaching uh, with this uh, very fun Bible today. And so if my sermon is good, it's because my sword is sharp, okay? It's not me, all right? So here's here's what it says. Ecclesiastes 1.1. Solomon writes, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is what? Meaningless. 
meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will be remembered by those who follow them. Amen. We're done. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? Like, this is super encouraging, right? So, here, here is, here's what Solomon is going to do in this passage. What, what Solomon is going to do in this passage is essentially he's going to teach us two corresponding and parallel truths. The, the first thing he's going to teach us is, if you could put the two points up, is he's going to, t- no, the other two points. Thank you. So, so he's gonna, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to talk to us about the types of purpose. The types of purpose. Then he's going to conclude by giving us the source of purpose. So what Solomon's going to do under this first point is he's going to go out of his way to address and eliminate all the other purposes that you might be tempted to find your identity in. He's going to eliminate all of them. And then once there's no other purpose to find your identity in, then he's going to give you the source of purpose. Okay? But, but the first thing he does is he's going to give us the counterfeit types of purpose that we are tempted to find our identity and our self-worth in, okay? Now, I need to warn you, okay, this is, this is going to be like a, like a tunnel, right? And, and by that, I mean it's going to get a lot darker before it gets brighter, okay? It's about to get real dark in here, just FYI, all right? So, so the reason, listen to this, the reason why it's going to get darker before it gets brighter is because of the type of person that Solomon is. And here's what I mean. In the passage, Solomon describes himself as a teacher. But what one scholar says that I think it's really well said is that more than a teacher, Solomon is actually more of a philosophy professor. And here's why, here's why. Because here's what a good teacher does. If anyone here has ever taught before, maybe you are a teacher. What a good teacher does is a teacher answers all your questions. That's what a good teacher does. A good teacher answers all your questions. But a philosophy professor, instead of answering all your questions, what they do is they question all your answers. <laughs> that was good, right? I'm going to say that again. So, so a, a, a teacher, if you are a good teacher, your goal should be to answer all the questions. But when you are a philosophy pr- professor, your goal is not to answer all the questions. Your goal is to question all the answers. And so that's why this is such a a dark book. But I would actually argue it's the most contemporary book in the entire Bible because he goes after many of the assumptions that we make. And he does, he's like, he's not going to let you settle. He's not going to let you just sit there and say, yeah, I believe this. No, no, no. He's going to call you out. He's not just going to answer your questions. He's going to question your answers. And that's why one scholar says that Ecclesiastes in many ways should be the first book of the Bible. Ecclesiastes should come before the book of Genesis because Ecclesiastes asks all the questions that the rest of the Bible then goes on to answer. That's why this book is written the way it's written. 
Now, Solomon, because he is a good professor, what he does, and anyone who's ever written an essay before knows that this is how you write an essay, what he does is he gives you the overarching question that he's hoping to answer, and then giving, after giving you the overarching question that he's hoping to answer for the rest of the book, he gives you his concluding thesis. He, he provides for us his concluding hypothesis in light of what he discovers. And so the question that Solomon is seeking to answer in this passage is this. It's in verse 3. He says, this is the question that he's going to answer throughout the whole book. He says, what do people gain from all their laborers at which they toil under the sun? That's the question that Solomon is seeking to answer, not just in this passage in particular, but in the rest of the book in general. What do people gain from all their laborers at which they toil under the sun? That word there, gain, is an accounting term. And here's what it means. It means to have a profit. It means to have something of advantage or of good results. And so Solomon is saying, look, a lot of us are doing a lot of things, but what is it actually producing? What difference is it actually making? That is the question that Solomon is setting out to answer. Why are we doing everything that we're doing? And then what's crazy is if you look at verse 2, he actually gives you the answer. He says, look, 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 just in case you don't have enough time, just in case you got to run somewhere and you gotta, you're not going to be able to read the whole thing, let me tell you what I discovered. Let me give you my concluding hypothesis, my, 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 my overarching thesis for what I discovered. Okay? Verse, uh, verse 2. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. So, so he goes on this journey to look at what the purpose and meaning of life is under the sun, and his conclusion and his answer to the question, what do we gain from all our labor, is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now, on the surface, it just looks like this dude needs to go see a counselor, right? He's just super depressed, right? And on the surface, it almost seems like he's having an emotional response. But when you read the rest of the book, you know that he's not responding emotionally because for the rest of the book, he supports his point intellectually. Okay? And see, on the surface, all this seems like is a Twitter rant, right? It's like someone on social media just complaining about something. And we've seen that, right? Whether you've been on Twitter or Facebook, right? There's always someone complaining about something, right? And almost always, it's an emotional response to a first world problem, right? And so they're sitting at Starbucks and the line is too long, or they're at a, a, a restaurant and the Wi-Fi is slow. And so they're complaining about how terrible life is because they don't have this thing that they need. But, but this isn't a Twitter rant. One, because he's not emotionally responding. He's intellectually responding. And the other reason why you know it's not a social media rant is because he's not just complaining about one thing. He's complaining about the whole thing. He doesn't say one part of life is meaningless. He says everything is meaningless. But, but what about marriage? Meaningless. Well, what about parenting? Meaningless. What about school? Uh, uh, meaningless. What about retirement? Meaningless. Everything. You know what everything means in Hebrew? It means everything. <laughs> You're a scholar now. Congratulations. Okay? Everything is meaningless. The word there, meaningless, it's the Hebrew word havel, which means purposeless. It means uh, emptiness. It literally means to lack content. He brings up the word 38 times in 12 chapters. The, the man is averaging more than 3.2 times per chapter. It's how often this man brings this concept to us up. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. The whole thing. 
The, the word there means breath. It means vapor. So when you're standing out in the cold and you breathe, that, that little puff that comes out and then immediately disappears, that's your life. Or, or you're standing by the beach and you step into the sand and you're like, that's always going to be there. And then within like three seconds, the water comes and it's gone. That's your life. Utterly meaningless. All of it is. Every single part of it. Now, the reason why Solomon argues that everything is meaningless is because what he says is that all of life is very circular. He says all, all life is is a big, repetitive circle. So, so the reason why everything is meaningless is because we live in this closed system under the sun where everything just happens again and again and again and again. And the only reason why you think it's new is because you're too dumb to read books and know the history. You went to public school like me, so you don't read. And so you think it's new because you don't study. That's the only reason why you think it's new. Okay? So, so, so he says that the reason why life is meaningless is because life under the sun is a closed system, a, a closed circular system of repetitive, unchanging monotony. And, and you might not believe what I'm saying, but I'll, I'll prove it to you. Look what he says in, in verse 5. Sorry, in verse 4. He says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Circle. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Circle. The winds blow to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Circle. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Circle. Life is a meaningless, purposeless, empty, circular event. That's all it is. And for those of you who don't believe me and don't want to take Solomon's word for it, uh, have you ever, ever in your life, have, have you ever done laundry before? There's this thing, uh, young people, called laundry, right? And you know how your clothes is magically clean and like folded and put in yourself? Someone actually cleans that, okay? And, and, and here's the thing. For the person who does laundry in the house, you do all the laundry and you're like, man, finally. No more laundry. And all you got to do is wait about 15 minutes before there's something else in the laundry. Or if you're the person who mows the lawn at your house, right? You spend a, a Saturday afternoon trimming the, the hedges and getting it all perfect and nice. And by Sunday, there's the lawn. Like nothing ever happened. Back at it again. Or taking out the trash. Hey, 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 can you take out the trash? Yeah, honey, no problem. I'm going to take the trash out. And, and you get back... The next, hey, hey, can you take out the trash? I just took the trash out yesterday. What are you talking about? Hey, have you ever paid a bill before? <laughs> have you ever paid a bill? You're like, man, fine. I'm done with the bills. The only reason why you're done with the bills is because the mailman hasn't showed up yet that day. <laughs> it's repetitive. Have you ever got a haircut before? Here's what women do, right? Women get a haircut. They hate it for the first two months. Then they like it for about two days, and then they got to get it cut again the next day. <laughs> it's a circle. Every 
day we wake up at the same time, we get in the same car, we drive in the same traffic, we get home, we watch the same Netflix shows. It's a big circle. That's it. That's all life is. Now, some of you may be like, okay, well, if, if life is a big circle, then uh, husbands are going to go home this week and be like, honey, I'm not taking the trash anymore out because Will says life is a circle, okay? I, I don't want to get caught up in the vanity of it all. It's meaningless, honey. Just trying to follow my pastor's orders. There's no purpose to any of it. It's just circular monotony. Again and again and again. And again, you know what you're going to do next Tuesday? The same thing you did this Tuesday. That's all life is. So, so, so Solomon, it wants us to know that life is circular. Solomon is saying, follow with me here. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't ever confuse novelty with originality. Just because something is new to you doesn't mean it's original. So they never confuse novelty with originality. And what he's saying when he talks about those generations that come and go, see, every generation rises up. You had the greatest generation, then you had the baby boomers, and then you had the Gen Xers, and then you had the millennials, and you had whoever comes next. We don't even know what their name is. But, but, but you have every generation rises up, and all life is is like a big treadmill. And, and the next generation gets on the treadmill like, we're going to change the world. And they run and they run and they run and they got their sweatpants on and they're, you know, they're running, they're running, they're really, really, really hard. And they're doing a lot of moving, but they're not going anywhere. And then at some point, about 80 years later, they keel over and die. And then the next generation jumps on and they're going to change the world. No, you're not. Because life is a big, meaningless, purposeless circle. That's what Solomon needs for you and me to know. And then what, what Solomon then does is, and this is what makes him so, so, so brilliant. Uh, one commentator put it this way. He said, Solomon is so wise and so brilliant that even in writing this first section, his opening statement, if you will, he, he, he's so wise that he knows that once he says that life is meaningless, he anticipates all the stock answers that people are going to give him in response. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. And so he deals with your philosophy, your worldview, and completely dismantles it. Now, I don't get this. This is not for me. This is something that Tim Keller wrote and, and talked about in a, in a sermon back in, 90, in the early 90s. And here's what, what Keller says. What Solomon does here in this passage is he addresses two of the most common worldviews that people in our day have. Two of the most common philosophies that people have in response to the question, does life have a purpose? He says that, Keller says that one of the responses that, or one of the approaches that Solomon addresses is the hedonistic approach, and I'll explain that in a second, and then the second type of approach that he talks about is the humanistic approach. So, so, so follow with me here. When someone hears that life has no meaning or purpose, they have one or two responses to it. You either have a hedonistic approach to it, or you have a humanistic approach to it. So let's look at each one. The first response you can have when you discover that life has no purpose, when you read what Solomon writes here, is you can respond with the hedonistic approach, the, the hedonistic philosophy of life. Here's what the hedonistic person says. The hedonistic person says, well, if life has no meaning or purpose, then I'm going to make the most of it then. I'm going to seek pleasure to my heart's content. I'm going to drink as much as I can drink. I'm going to smoke as much as I can smoke. I'm going to have as much sex as I can have. I'm going to party, I'm going to do, do everything to its max. 
whether it's pornography or video games or, or, or gambling or, or whatever it is. I'm going to give my life over to that. If life really doesn't have a purpose, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to enjoy every minute that I have. That's the first response that people have when they discover that life has no purpose. The problem with it is that Solomon anticipates your response and he, rebu- he, re- he rebukes it right here in this passage. Look what he says here in verse 8. In verse 8, Solomon says, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. And then to the hedonistic person, he says, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And so when you go the pleasure route, and I'm going to just make the most of this life because it's all we have, Solomon says you will never be satisfied. There is not enough money. There is not enough sex. There is not enough gambling. There is not enough porn. There's not enough video games. There's not enough social media. There's not enough prescription drugs for you to find the pleasure that you're looking for. And listen, if there's anyone who went down this path, it was Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives. I'm not making that up. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So he wasn't, he wasn't having, getting enough action, so the man had 300 side pieces just in case. Okay? So, so if there's anybody who went down this path, he had the time, the money, the resources, and the wisdom to do it. He did it. He came back, and he's like, don't go down that path. And there's a dead end over there. He should have learned that after wife number two, amen? <laughs> but anyway, let's be honest. But, but anyways, he went down that path, and he came back. Okay? So, so the first approach that people have is the hedonistic approach. Solomon not only anticipates it, he completely dismantles it. Then the next response that someone might have when they find out that life has no purpose or meaning is the humanistic response. And man, is this one popular in our culture. Man, you'll hear this from every celebrity and from every athlete and from every politician you'll see. Here's what they say. They say, okay, well, if this life is all we have and there's no purpose and meaning, here's what we can do. Let's, let's live good, really good lives. Let's do the best we can to, to enrich the people around us. And, and, and let's just make the world a better place so that when we die, the world is just a better place. Let's leave a, a, a legacy of love and equality and beauty. Let's just do that. Here's the problem with that. Logically, it makes no sense. Other than that, you're good. Okay? Here's here's how Solomon anticipates you're going to say it, and then he deals with what you're saying. Look what he says in verse 11 to the humanistic people. He says, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So, so the whole, I'm going to make the world a better place? No, you're not. I'm going to leave a legacy? You can't leave a legacy when nobody remembers you. Listen, within 50 years, no one's going to even know you existed. Within 50 years, no one's going to even know you existed. And you're like, well, well that's not true. What about, what about my relatives? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know the name of your great-great-great-grandfather? Yeah, I didn't think so. So even your relatives are going to forget you. And you're like, but what if I make a lot of money and I, and I donate a building to my alma mater? And they put a plaque on it. That, that plaque is going to make me last forever. Yeah, it'll make you laugh, last for about 100 years before someone richer shows up, tears down that building, and puts their own plaque up. 
Yeah, but, 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 but what if I'm, I'm the president of the United States one day? You won't be. <laughs> Let me go ahead and tell you that ahead of time so you don't get your hopes up. You won't be. But even if you are, in a thousand years, the United States will be gone. And at best, some archaeologist might find a photo of you in some ruin somewhere. And it won't even be a good photo. It'll be an ugly photo. So if you're going the humanistic approach and you're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, I'm going to just do my best to, to make sure I make the most out of this life. I want to leave a legacy of love and of kindness and compassion and beauty. No, no, you're not going to do that. Because to leave a legacy, you must be remembered and no one's going to remember you. So, so, so Solomon, he deals with the two approaches that people have, the hedonistic approach and then the humanistic approach. He says, neither of those approaches are going to work. Neither of them. So, so the first thing Solomon does is he gives us a philosophical argument to support his point. The second thing that Solomon does after giving us a philosophical argument is he gives us a practical argument. So if the first argument was for your head, the, the, for the thinkers in the room, the, the second argument is for your heart, for the feelers in the room. What Solomon then does as he describes to you the types of purpose, if you go back to that previous slide, as he describes to you the types of purpose, is what he's going to do is now he's going to look at what are historically the things that we are tempted to find our purpose in. So for the rest of the book, what Solomon does is he, is he addresses and he, he unpacks, he exposes the things that we are tempted to find our purpose in, okay? And all of them are pretty significant, so I'm going to walk through them real quick as we look at the types of purpose. The first one that Solomon addresses is this one, knowledge. Here's what I mean by knowledge. Some of you here are sitting here and you're like, oh, I know, I, I know that some of those other things don't matter, but you know what my purpose is, where my real meaning is found? Education. Just being, having, getting all the information I can get. And it's all about degrees and accolades and GPAs. It's, it's knowledge that's going to make me have purpose and meaning. Look what Solomon says. He tries it. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And so if your identity, if your self-worth, if your purpose is education, and this happens a lot with minorities. When, 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 when people come from other countries, they have the American dream, and their American dream is my girl or my son is going to have all these, it's going to have an education, everything's going to be fixed. You know what you're doing? You're preaching a false gospel to that child. And what you're telling them is that getting a job or getting a degree is going to make them something that they're not. Okay, so, so the first thing he goes after is knowledge. That's, one, that's a big one. Another thing that he says that, that he tries out that he says isn't, isn't worth it is a big one in our culture, pleasure. The people who say, well, I, I know what I'll do. I'll find my purpose and meaning in pleasure and how many people I sleep with and how many uh, drugs I do and, and how many uh, uh, fantasy football drafts I get in, how many video games I play. He said, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. I denied myself nothing, nothing. Because remember, he had the money and the time. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Look what he says is the reward of his toil. Yet when I sur surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. 
a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Then, after doing pleasure, he goes after a very common one, a very common idol, a very common God, a very common purpose and meaning that people latch onto, which is their career. I'm going to give my heart to my career. And I'm going to be successful, and I'm going to provide for my family, and I'm going to get a promotion, and I'm going to make it, and I'm going to do it. Solomon goes that route, and look what he discovers. He says, what do people get from all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Your career is meaningless. Your promotion is meaningless. The corner office is meaningless. Your bonus is meaningless. Then after career, then he goes after a big one in our culture, which is money. Look what he says about money. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and, and, as, and, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that, can, that they can carry in their hands. And you know what's funny about this one? Solomon goes the highbrow route, which is what rich people do. So he goes to, to the operas and, and he does all the, the, the rich stuff, right? He buys a, a house and a boat and he goes that route. Tries the highbrow stuff. That doesn't work. Then he goes the lowbrow route. Doesn't find any help there either. And what happens is the people who are rich uh, 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 look down at the people who are poor and they're jealous. Like, man, I wish I was poor. I wouldn't have as much things to worry about. Life would be so much simpler. And then the, the poor people are looking at the rich people saying, man, if only I had a few more zeros behind that check. And Solomon says, I tried both. And they're empty. Meaningless. And then the last one, this one's huge. Religion. The last thing Solomon tries is religion. And some of you are like, wait, religion? But we're at church. Religion is a good thing. No, it's not. At Tri-Village, religion is a curse word. Because here's what religion is. Religion is you trying to save yourself. Religion is, hey, I read my Bible, I came to church, I gave a check, so you should bless me, God. That's not what Christianity is. Solomon says that some people have given themselves over to being good. And look what he says. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. He says, do not be overrighteous, neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? Then he says, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. And so for you religious types that are like, man, will you tell those pagans that they're not living for Jesus, blah, blah, you're not living for Jesus either, bro. Because the person who's religious is just as self-centered as the person who's pursuing a career or money or education. It's all about you. And Solomon says, that purpose will let you down. That meaning will shatter and will be crushed under the weight of your expectations. And so this is pretty bad news, guys. <laughs> he, he, Solomon leaves you with nowhere else to go. He strips away everything else. And some of you are like, I, don't, I just don't know if I agree with this. Well, Solomon says the reason why you don't agree is because you haven't thought about it. Because if you really think about it, you'll get to exactly where I'm at. Here's what's crazy. I heard a pastor put it this way, right? He said that 
if, let, let, me, let me, I'll take this illustration and I'll personalize it. What if I came up to you today and I said to you, hey, I want you to meet me on the, co- the, co- the corner of Bodie and Bartlett Road on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Imagine if I did that today, right? I come up to you, I'm like, I need you to meet me on the corner of Bodie and Bartlett, 2 p.m. on Tuesday. You know what the first question you would ask me? Why? Because I got things to do, right? Here's what the pastor says. Here's how ridiculous we are as humans. We are more concerned about how we will spend a Tuesday afternoon and never think about how we spend our entire lives. Why are you doing it? What's the point? Why are you on the treadmill? Why? And here's what I need you to do, guys. Let's say that you still are like, I don't know if this is for me, right? And you're like, what I think is that we come from nothing and that when we die, we go to nothing. So it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, I just think that the, the best thing we can do if, if, we, if we come from nothing and we go to nothing, I think the best thing we can do is just love each other and, and, and seek prosperity. Hey, here's the problem. If you come from nothing and when you die, you go to nothing, then the middle means nothing. Okay? You can't just take the parts of this worldview that you like and act like this matters if you come from nothing and go to nothing. So what Solomon does is he makes the bad news bad so that the good news can be good. Okay? So if you go back to my two points, the first thing Solomon has done is he's told us about the types of purpose. Then the last thing he does here at the end is he tells us about the source of purpose. Now, remember what I promised you. I promised you that this thing was going to get much darker before it got brighter. And, 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 and here's why. In, in this passage, not just in this passage, uh, verse 1 through 11, but in the entire book, one of the phrases that Solomon repeats again and again and again and again is the phrase, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. He says, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything that's under the sun is meaningless. But here's why that phrase is so important. Because what the phrase under the sun means, it's a, it's essentially what it means is a life apart from God. To live under the sun is to live as if God does not exist and this world is the only thing that exists. So the reason why Solomon is saying that everything is meaningless is because all of the observations that he's made have been under the sun. Solomon, here's what he does. He he wants you to get to a place. The reason why this news is so bad, the reason why he brings you so low is because he wants you, there's only two ways you can respond if what Solomon is saying is true. Only two ways. There's a fork in the road. There's only two ways you can go. You either respond to this information with utter depression or total dependence. That's it. If you really understand what Solomon is saying, there's only two options for you. You either respond with utter depression because life is meaningless or you respond with total dependence because we're made for something else. Listen, if you and I are eternal, then that means our purpose should be as well. So Solomon, after exposing and, and, and removing every other counterfeit purpose, in, in chapter 12 of his book, right at the end of his book, literally the last verses of the last chapter in the book, he finally gives us the purpose for life. Look, look how he concludes. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. The word there, fear, it means to have respect, to have awe, to have a relationship with God and keep his commands, for this is the duty, the purpose, the reason of all mankind. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So follow with me here. What Solomon is saying is that the world can only give you temporal pleasure, but only the Lord can give you eternal purpose. The world can give you temporal pleasure, but only the Lord can give you eternal purpose. He's saying that, listen, if God is everything, then everything else means something. But if God isn't your everything, then everything else means nothing. That's what he's saying to you and to me. If God is your everything, then everything else has, serves a utility for you. But if God isn't everything, then everything else is just futility. That's what he's saying. Now, here's the thing. Here's the, thing. the reason why I can't just stop right here, though, is because when he says fear God and keep his commands, that's a really tweetable thing. Like, amen, Pastor Will said to fear God, blah, blah, blah. But here's the problem with that. The Hebrew word for God is the word Elohim. It's a very general word in Hebrew. And so if all I do is leave it here, then essentially what I can do, I can preach this sermon at any mosque and any synagogue and nobody would be offended. There's nothing that I've said up to this point that any Jew or Muslim would be offended by. Because if all I do is say fear God, then, man, that, that, that's great. Heck, Oprah believes in God. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But, but here's, what's, here's what's crazy. Solomon, we have an advantage that Solomon didn't have. See, Solomon is looking forward to something, and it's a blur to him. He really can't see it with clarity, and so all he can say is fear God. But what we have is the advantage that instead of looking forward, we get to look back. Not on a possibility, but on a certainty. Here's what it says in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, John begins his gospel, and John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word is God. Now, to us, that doesn't mean anything. But the reason why that word, Word, is so important is because in Greek, it means logos. And the reason why the word logos was very influential and, and important in those days was because all of the Greek philosophers and scholars in John's day were, they would sit around in, in the book of Acts 17, you see all these people sitting around, and, and what they do essentially for the entirety of their day is they would sit there and try to figure out what the logos of life was. The word logos means purpose. It means reason. They were trying to figure out what the purpose, the reason, and logos of life was. And so what started to happen in those days is different schools of thought started to, to come up. And so some people were like, the, the logos of life is to honor your parents. And then other schools of thought were like, no, no, no. The, the logos of life is to live a good life, right? But what's crazy is what scholars say is that by the time John writes what he writes, there was this skepticism that had spread throughout the Greek philosophy world because they were convinced that none of them were ever going to discover what the real logos was. They had given up on it. Because no one knew what the answer was. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, John starts this book by saying, the Logos is here. I have found the Logos. And the Logos is not some abstract principle. It's an intimate person. The Logos is not something you look for. It's something that looks for you. John says that the Logos is not a principle but a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's what we see, that the logos is here, that the reason is here, the meaning, the purpose of life has arrived. And we didn't look for him, he looked for us. 
And Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 12 says the same exact thing. Here's what's happening in Matthew 12. I was blown away by this when I read it this week. He is sitting in front of people who, unlike Solomon, have the reality of him right in front of him. And he says to the people in Capernaum, he says, listen, listen. One day at the judgment, the queen of the south, which is the queen that goes to see King Solomon in the Old Testament, he says, one day in the, in the, in the judgment, the queen of the south is going to stand in judgment of you because something greater than Solomon is here, and yet you refuse to accept me and believe in me. He says, he, that lady had more faith than you had, and she didn't even know who I was. You're sitting here looking at me, and you still refuse to believe. And one day, she's going to stand in judgment of you, because something is greater than Solomon is here, and yet you refuse to believe in me. You refuse to make me the meaning and purpose and logos of your life. Jesus Christ is the greater Solomon. The first Solomon came to ask questions. The greater Solomon came to answer those questions. See, look, look, the first Solomon was brave enough to identify the problem. The greater Solomon was brave enough to deal with the problem. See, the first Solomon, because of his discernment, he was able to ask the right questions. The greater Solomon, because of his deity, was able to answer those right questions. The first Solomon gave his life, he dedicated his life in order to find meaning and purpose. The greater Solomon gave his life in order to give us meaning and purpose. Jesus, Jesus Christ is the greater Solomon. That's who he is. Listen. If Jesus Christ is your everything, then everything else means something. But if Jesus Christ isn't your everything, then everything else means nothing. And so the question that we set out to answer this morning was this. Does life have a purpose? The answer is yes. That purpose is a person, and that person is Jesus. Let's pray.